Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop, I'm chief executive here, also a proud member. And today is July 14th, you're with a virtual City Club Forum. As you know, over the last year, we've been speaking with each of the now seven Cleveland mayoral candidates leading up to the primary in September. You can find all of those previous interviews of the other six candidates, along with some others who are not still in the race, in our archives at cityclub.org. Our final candidate in this series is Dennis Kucinich, who formally announced his candidacy for mayor of Cleveland on June 14th, one month ago. This is not, however, his first time campaigning for City Hall. As many of you know, Mr. Kucinich served as the 53rd mayor of Cleveland from 1977 to 1979. And as mayor, Kucinich was Cleveland's youngest mayor ever, nicknamed the boy mayor and well known for his battle against the sale of Muni Light to the privately owned competitor, Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company. Muni Light, as you know, became Cleveland Public Power, CEI, CEI became First Energy. And in 1996, Dennis Kucinich was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives for to represent Ohio's 10th congressional district. He served in the seat for 16 years, twice running for president. After the 2010 census, redistricting pitted him against long-serving Toledo area Congresswoman Re Representative Marcy Kaptur, to whom he lost in the primary. And after his time in Congress, Dennis Kucinich served as a regular contributor to Fox News Channel, and he has also appeared on RT, that's the cable news station formerly known as Russia Today, which uh, is funded by the Russian government. He left Fox News in 2018 to run for Ohio governor, and he and others in the Democratic primary were defeated by Rich Cordray, who was also defeated against Mike DeWine. As in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. Text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And you can tweet them at the City Club. We'll work them in. Congressman Kucinich, welcome back to the City Club of Cleveland. This has got to be your 10th, 11th, dozenth, 12th, 20th time appearing at the City Club. Welcome Always back. Always good to be with you. And uh, good to see you, Dan. And I look forward to our discussion. Well, I know you're, um, you've are you got the endorsement interviews with, with Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer today. And we really appreciate you squeezing us in. Um, Congressman, the, the question that has most often come up when I've tweeted out to encourage people to ask questions of you. The most common question is why? Why are you running after after so many years? Um, why do you want to return to City Hall? And also, why is that in the best interest of Cleveland? Well, uh, first of all, I have served this city in so many capacities as a city councilman, as clerk of courts, as mayor, as a state senator and United States congressman. I know the city. I've lived in many of its neighborhoods. And through my service, I see the potential of Cleveland and its potential is not being realized. And it's a troubled city now, half the size of when it was when I was mayor, uh, high levels of poverty, high levels of crime. I think that, that I have that kind of experience. And matter of fact, I probably have more experience than anybody who's ever run for mayor to get into uh, uh, city hall and start to transform the government and start to create changes all across the board. And, and I'm ready to do that. I have more energy uh, than I've ever had. Actually, my health is better today than it was years ago. So I'm, I'm ready to go. And the people of Cleveland know me, they trust me. And, um, and my desire to serve has never been diminished. But now I, I know Cleveland needs help and I'm, I'm ready to step forward with everything I am. Congressman Kucinich, um, the 
and, and I do refer to you as Congressman Kucinich. That's one of the benefits, I think, of, of retiring from Congress is that like you continue to be referred to as Congressman. And um, but Congressman Kucinich, the, your time in the mayor's office was characterized by uh, some pitched battles between you and others. The, the battle over Muni Light that I referenced was one, bat, one such battle. Um, you were, uh, it would be an understatement to say you didn't exactly get along with the police department at that time. And um, in what, like, how would things be different? How can voters believe that, that another Kucinich mayoralty wouldn't just be another four years of fighting? Well, uh, first of all, you know, I've spent uh, many years, uh, you know, writing an account of what had happened at that time. And, and you know, I just, uh, I'm, I'm not doing this for purposes. Do you, do you happen to have a copy with you? I'm shocked. Well, because I knew the question of my term would come up. And this book actually outlines the story of corporate sabotage, of corporate espionage, of what I, I had to fight an army of Goliaths in order to protect the interests of the people of Cleveland. Today's much different. I mean, today, today Cleveland is a different city in many ways, but the problems are more intense. Now, this experience that I have at a federal level can be put to use for this city, because I, you know, I know everyone who's in a decision-making capacity in Washington on both the Republican and the Democratic side. I can go there to be an advocate for Cleveland, just as I did as a member of Congress. But in this case, with all the largesse that's available through uh, not only the American Rescue Plan, but all the programs that are coming. To have someone in there who, can, who knows who to talk to, who can open the doors immediately, uh, can be of great benefit to the people. Now, you know, whatever battles took place, look, I have more experience, as I've said, than, than anybody who, who's not only running, than maybe anybody's ever run. And, and that includes, yes, being in some battles. I did not choose those battles, but I didn't walk away from them than when it came to representing the interests of the people of Cleveland. What do you think the mayor's job is right now? Is it, uh, is it to build bridges and build consensus and build broad coalitions to solve these more intense problems that you referenced? Or is it something else? Is it, uh, is it to, to fight is it, or is it just to bring back as much, large, as much of that largesse from Washington? What do you think the, the, the job is? Well, the, 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 the slogan of our campaign is safety, peace and prosperity. And the mayor must be ready to make this, to make city services work. And that includes police and, and fire and EMS and all the other services that people come into contact with. I mean, the mayor's job is to represent Cleveland in every way, to be a spokesperson for the city, to be an advocate for the city, to promote the city, to promote business coming into the city, to keep the business here, to create jobs, to make the neighborhood safe, to, to have an interaction with the public, to provide vehicles for people to contact City Hall, to make sure that there's communication with the council, to, to get things moving. And that's what I know how to do. I, I'm a decision maker, uh, Dan, and I, you know, I don't let things sit. I, I could bring to this city a dynamism that it isn't seen in years to, to, to help it grow and to help it prosper. Um, I want to put a question to you that is the same question I put to Dick Noth, who was also considering a run for mayor and ultimately chose not to. Um, Dick was chair of the uh, of the Community Police Commission that was charged with overseeing the the uh, fidelity to the consent decree. And um, and Dick is an older white male, uh, a longstanding attorney at the at Baker Hostetler. 
And I asked him straight straight ahead, why why does Cleveland need an older white male in the mayor's office today when so many of the issues we face have to do with racial justice and there are so many young black leaders willing to step up and 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 do the leading that is required? Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, first of all, you have to know something about me. Uh, I grew up in the city of Cleveland, the oldest of seven. My parents never owned a home. We were renters. And as the family grew from one to seven, we had trouble finding rent. And, and sometimes we were the only Caucasian families in, in a community of color, particularly the black community. So I, I grew up with a, a real sensitivity and an understanding as much as any white person can understand what black people go through, but an understanding of, of people's aspirations for safe neighborhoods, for good housing, for safe streets, for, for job opportunities, you know, questions like where's your next meal coming from? And because of that, you know, that, that greatly informed my politics. Anyone wants to know, you know, why I had a 94% uh, rating from the NAACP when I was a member of Congress, it's because I, I had the sensitivity of, of, you know, where I grew up. And, you know, besides that, the neighborhood I live in on the west side has been integrated for over 100 years. And so I, you know, again, the, the other thing is, I look at the world as an integrated whole. I don't see people as being separate. Of course, there is a race consciousness that people are involved in. But what I, I like to see the world as being interconnected and interdependent, that we're all one. We're one Cleveland. And Cleveland needs a mayor that has that, both the cultural experience that I've had, but also the vision that says that, that we need to close ranks as Clevelanders and get beyond the divisions that are so powerful in our society, the hyper-partisanship, the polarization, and, and we can build a peaceful city. We can build a city that, that understands th that every individual is important, needs to be respected, and that there is an inner equality of everyone. And, and that's, that's my spiritual belief, and it's also something I will bring to the mayor's office. Do you, do you truly believe you can adequately and fully, and pardon me um, for the noise there, if you, if you heard that, there's a very loud motorcycle driving by, but do you really believe that you can fully represent and, and serve and meet the needs of, the, of black residents of Cleveland and, and really truly represent their interests? Absolutely. In a majority I have in the past in many different capacities without, you know, without regard to color. You know, I, I, I can tell you that in my, um, you know, I've had great support in the black community. People know me in the black community. I can walk the streets and people identify me instantly because they know that I've been there for them. There is a trust and that trust is nothing that you can manufacture in a political campaign. It's either there or it's not. I would invite you, Dan, to join me as I go into the black community and see the response of people. I am trusted. People know that I'm not running some private agenda and they know that I can be trusted because I, I embrace my brothers and sisters, whatever the color is, whatever the race, color, creed, nationality, I'm there for the people. And, and that's how I was brought up and that's how I was raised and that's been my experience. And it might be different than other people but it, it qualifies me to be able to represent a city of such diversity. Congressman, I have to ask you about the mailer, um, the, the bloody Cleveland logo. I, I know you're expecting this question. It has 38 bullet holes in it. I counted them this morning. 
um, that was a choice that someone on your campaign made to put 38 bullet holes in the Cleveland logo sign and have it dripping with blood. I'm looking at it on the screen over here. Um, when I saw it, it reminded me immediately of November 29th, 2012, when Timothy Russell and Melissa Williams were shot by police officers in East Cleveland after a 22 minute car chase. Um, and uh, there were 137 shots in their vehicle. Um, and Michael Brelo shot 47 of those, I believe, 49 of those. I'm sorry, I'm just checking my notes. It also reminded me of what happened two years after that, November of 2014, when Tamir Rice was killed by Timothy Lohman, a police officer with the Cleveland District of, Division of Police. Um, I don't think that's what you were doing, but that's what it reminded me of. And I wonder if at this point you regret that mailer or if it achieved what you wanted it to achieve. The whole point of the mailer, if you read the other side, I did. Was, was to call to the attention of the people of Cleveland, something many Clevelanders already know. And that is there, there was a weekend where we had 39 shootings. And during that weekend, you know, people were just innocent people walking, walking down the street were shot. Uh, and, and, you know, we have to be aware. Those of us who live in Cleveland are aware that the level of, of gun violence has gone through the roof, that uh, people are not safe in, in many neighborhoods, that people are afraid to walk the streets, afraid of sending their children out to play. Grandmothers worry about sitting on a porch and uh, worry about drive-by shootings. Uh, that the Cleveland is now known as one of the most violent cities in America. Why do you think that is? Well, there's a there's a combination of things. One is that law enforcement uh, has basically uh, stepped back uh, during this uh, post George Floyd era because there's a lot of questions that are legitimate questions that need to be raised about the uh, quality of law enforcement, about the uh, protection of individual civil rights about the, um, the, the limits that anyone can go to in the use of force. These are all legitimate questions. And they're questions that as mayor, I'm certainly going to continue to press because I want a police department, which is schooled on matters of civil rights, respects individuals, uh, has the integrity that we expect of police officers, is well-educated and able to effectively uh, make our neighborhood safe. There has to be contact with people in the community that hasn't existed before in, in an amicable way. So the questions that have been raised and that you raised about police conduct are legitimate questions that I don't sweep aside. You started this uh, program up by citing the uh, challenges that I had with the police when I was mayor. I didn't shrink from that. I stood up for the people that I'll stand up for them now. The question is, is there a mayor smart enough, strong enough, to be able to push back and stand up for the people in the neighborhoods when they're under a siege of crime, and also to make the police department uh, subject to the most stringent requirements with respect to uh, civil liberties. And I'm certainly able to do that, and I'm ready to do it as well. Why do we need 400 more police officers to do that? Look, I just looked at the figures. I got these the other day, and I just you know brought these glasses along so I could uh, so I could read them. You know, we, we have right now about um, uh, uh, 1,438 police. There's been, uh, we, we were, the, the chief asked for 1,700 and uh, council authorized 1,600, 
but now we have about 160 openings. There's a class out there right now that is not going to graduate more than 40 people. We are understaffed as far as law enforcement. The police don't have enough people to follow up on homicides, uh, scientific investigation. Uh, you know, aside from the fact we need to transform policing in our city, which I'm certainly ready to do, we need more police. And so, you know, I, I'm saying, I also talked about a hundred people who would be skilled as social workers who could be, do conflict resolution, crisis intervention. Uh, that would be a new uh, approach. And a civic peace department, which goes very deep into the underlying causes of violence in our neighborhoods to find out exactly what's going on and to come up with field tested approaches to be able to resolve them. So the, the importance here of having more police and in terms of, of effective crime fighting can, can, cannot be overstated. You know, you, otherwise you, you let neighborhoods be sacrificed to gangs who are participating in these drive-by shootings, which leaves everybody at risk. So there needs to be uh, more police and they have to be uh, respectful of civil liberties. And we're not going to step away from law enforcement uh, in the city of Cleveland. But uh, Congressman, you said before that they've that police have stepped away from doing, from doing the work. And that's why, that's one reason why homicides have increased. If the existing police force at their existing levels were to step forward and uh, and and do the the work they're charged with, wouldn't that uh, wouldn't that have an appreciable impact? What do you mean? Unpack that a little bit more. Well, you said that they stepped away because of the because of the questions around policing in the post George Floyd era. Um, if they were to step forward, and I mean the implication of stepped away, I'm I'm just I'm I'm just working off your words here. The implication of stepped away means says to me that they are not working as hard. Well, no, it's not that they're not working as hard. They don't believe they're going to be supported if they enforce the law. They're afraid. There's there's people who have been uh, you know who are being called up on charges, uh, and and I have to tell you that uh, we need to have a police department that will walk the beats of the city. They'll get to know people, and people get to know them, and that will have leadership that comes from the top. This is what a mayor is about and says, look, I want you to make sure the law is enforced, but I want you to also respect people's civil liberties. And we're going, Cleveland is going to, you know, we, the consent decree put us on a path ahead of a lot of other cities. But the, my approach, I don't like bullies with badges. I'm not gonna stand for anyone who misuses their power while they represent the city of Cleveland in a uniform. That is not gonna happen. And I, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why, Dan, this charter amendment is so dangerous because it would strip from both uh, the police chief, the city council, and the mayor oversight authority over the police department. And that's a very, that is a wrong thing to do at this time. Cleveland needs a strong mayor who can deal with the police and, and, and make sure that the police it, it will, will uh, patrol our communities, walk the beat, and respect people. And, and I can do that, but at the same time, we don't want to handcuff our efforts to enforce the law with a, an appointed committee of people who do not have the experience and do not understand uh, the city the way that I would, for example, as, as not just a lifelong resident, uh, but as, as someone who, who is very sensitive to the concerns of people when it comes to how the law is enforced in some of our neighborhoods. 
Congressman, um, I want to uh, ask you some of the questions now that we've been posing to other candidates to sort of so we can get some apples to apples comparison. And let me just remind our our viewers that if you have a question for Congressman Kucinich about his run for City Hall, text that question to 330-541-5794 or tweet it at the City Club and we'll work it into the program. Um, education, Congressman, and the and the Cleveland Metro School District, um, the school district is still, as you know, under mayoral control. Um, and uh, and families have been struggling through the pandemic. Right. Um, in, you hear about this quite a lot um, uh, on social media, but also, I mean, but also we know that it was hardest on very young children in the early elementary years, and also on uh, on students who were close to graduating, many of whom dropped out so that they could work and provide or provide you know, salary, you know, to provide income for their families, to support their families. And those are at the bookends, at the ends there, we've lost, we've lost a number of families. What's your proposal to address that and to address the digital divide, which the pandemic revealed as a, a an absolutely, you know, a, a problem of the highest priority? Well, uh, the good news is that uh, the federal government has uh, earmarked money for school districts, which would aim at, um, at providing support for those who need tutors, for those who need remediation with their uh, studies. Um, that's a good thing. And you know, part of that is to make sure that schools have the equipment so that the children will be able to communicate if they're, if they're not in class, they're, they're learning remotely that they'll be able to communicate. But see, even that isn't enough because this idea of tutoring is an individual thing with students. You can't tutor remotely. So we, we I mean, you can, but it, practically speaking, we have to look at the whole child here. So I, I wanna make sure that, uh, yes, of course we need to close the digital, the digital divide in some neighborhoods where it has existed for, you know, forever. Uh, because that has incredible implications for people being able to participate wholly in the full society, enjoy the benefits of information technology and and the path towards uh, opportunities that maybe they wouldn't find if they weren't online. So uh, as far as the schools, more broadly, uh, each child's life is precious. And, and, and children who are living in poverty, you know, Dan, half the children, in the city right now are living at or below the poverty level. We, we have to pay special attention to the children who are at risk to make sure that they're getting the, the, the education that they need, that they're provided proper nutrition, that they're provided proper health support, dental support, for example, which you know I was very involved in when I was a member of Congress, to make sure that uh, the children are not gonna be lost. Now schools, we have to put more money into extracurricular activities. We have to reawaken the extracurricular activities that children find essential and as a reason for many of them to, to go to school. And I, I think, you know, our schools have so much potential. And keep in mind, Dan, I was a member for many, many years of the House Committee on Education and Labor. And that committee helped to shape policy for the United States. And, you know, I was involved in all the debates. So I I'm a, I'm a little bit more advanced than most people on the educational issues that are confronting our schools, as well as the issue of how the money's being used. People pass the levy. Uh, I have found in my look at the budget of the schools that 
they're top heavy administration. We probably spend more money on administration in many uh, surrounding school districts. And we need to get the money into the classroom and, into, and to help the students. So, you know, and I'm, I'm ready to go very deep into the operation of the school. And I'm really looking forward to it uh, based on my own education and background. Congressman, what about um, lead poisoning? The lead, the lead poisoning rate, particularly among children, uh, is at levels comparable with Flint, Michigan. Um, the solution is not as easy as it was in Flint, Michigan. And to say that it was easy in Flint, Michigan is not at all accurate. Um, what, what is your plan? Well, you have to have all the children tested. This is where the city health department is critical. That health department has to look at uh, uh, not just uh, lead poisoning and testing the children, but also at the asthma rate, which has uh, climbed considerably in inner city. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I spoke out against that asphalt proposal months ago, the asphalt plant, because the, the um, pollution from it would go, have gone through a good part of the east side. Um, we need to test these children. I, I have been in touch with a group called CLASH, which is a citizens group that is organized around the lead paint issue. This should have been dealt with years ago, but to the extent that it still is an issue, and it is, we have to look at the sources of, of lead. You know, they're housing, and in some cases, there's water pipes too. The, the maintenance uh, and uh, and the water department, uh, the maintenance of the water department has not been uh, optimum to say the least. And we need to uh, look at wherever the pipes are to make sure they can be changed. The other thing is- By the time you've tested a child for lead, if that comes back uh, with indicating that the lead levels are elevated, that that can't be fixed. Well, you know, there is medical science that suggests that you can use certain uh, collative therapies that can help uh, reduce the impact. Um, you know, we have to change the environment. How do we do that? Well, one yeah. of the things I want to do is build 20,000 new units of housing. We have 30,000 vacant lots in Cleveland. That housing, we can make sure that that's a protected environment for children who are in, in uh, living in situations where they, we know there's lead in the paint in their homes. So, you know, that's a for instance. And the mm -hmm. state just gave another 50 million. Uh, the state just received uh, uh, millions of dollars of which 50 million can end up in Cleveland where we can use that to um, uh, to clear lots to uh, knock down abandoned buildings and uh, as places where we can build anew uh, you know we we need to you're absolutely right we need to look at the at the broader environment and I'm determined to do that we don't want children to remain in homes where they're going to be subject to this uh, kind of, uh, uh, of we're going to be subject to lead poisoning so I, you know, I'm um, I'm very concerned about children's health. That's why the health department needs to be reorganized so that we pay attention to children and invite people in, provide information about a service, and and staff it so that uh, people will know the minute they notice anything going on with their child that looks like their health may be in in danger in any way, we bring them in. And dental health is going to be very important too. We want to make sure that uh, dental health services are provided to. Uh, children in the city. Congressman, what about infant and maternal mortality? We have well, one of the highest the rates highest, of infant mortality in the nation. We have one of the highest rates in the nation. You're right. And that's something, again, that a health department must do through an outreach. We can work with our local hospitals to do that. And I certainly look forward to uh, cooperating with our great hospital systems of uh, Cleveland Clinic, University Hospitals, and others to make sure that they support our efforts uh, to outreach on the infant mortality. How do you do that? Well, you know, some of it is uh, drug and alcohol abuse programs. 
you know, because you have to start at the prenatal level. And, uh, and, and that means nutrition and diet. We have to provide mothers with information about how uh, what they put in their bodies affects their, their children. And we have to look at the postnatal care as well, that immediately after a child is born, what kind of an environment are they, are they in? This requires an intensive approach in the health department to be able to, uh, every time a child is born, to start to make available to the families a range of services to support them. You know, we, this is where city government and where someone who really has a comprehensive understanding of all the systems of government, who has a holistic approach, who understands communities, who's compassionate and wise, can deliver uh, a whole new approach for city services affecting the health of our people. Congressman, um, I want to ask you uh, about something that's actually unrelated to uh, the mayor's office, but is related to your career. And um, and I want to acknowledge that I may be one of very few people who actually are interested in this issue. Um, but it has to do with your um, your relationship with Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Um, you, uh, you lobbied Fox News and, and assisted Fox News in conducting an interview with him, traveled to Syria many times. Um, some have said that that your interviewing of him legitimized his presidency, and this is a man who has used uh, chemical weapons on his own people. And I wonder if you can talk, if you can help uh, help me help others understand exactly what your relationship is there, how you view President Bashar al-Assad and the situation in Syria. I know it's not directly relevant to the mayor's office, but I, I think it speaks to your career. Well, uh, let's start with that interview that you referenced. And I would invite people to go to the interview where I interviewed President Bashar al-Assad for Fox News, because you will see in that interview that I challenged him repeatedly. This was not a game of patty cake. It was no softballs thrown there. It was about trying to get to the bottom of the issues relating to the use of chemical weapons and also how much freedom in, in Syria people had. Well, why do they ever go to Syria in the first place? Why go to the Middle East? Because I stand for peace. One, you know, when you stand for peace as a member of Congress and you're involved in international affairs, you have to keep in mind that I led the effort against the war in Iraq because I knew we were being lied to. So I'm a little bit more schooled on, on international matters than most members of Congress because I pay attention and I read. And so when I went to the Middle East, I went there to, to find out what's the potential for peace building. And I met with all sides. I met with leaders of many different countries. And I made it a point to, you know, let me tell you, if you're working for peace, inevitably you're gonna be meeting people with whom you have fundamental disagreements with. But if you're going to do that, you have to engage them in discussion. You don't start out with saying, you're a dirty so-and-so, now let's talk. You say, look, you get their view of the world. And then from there you build to see if you can create peace. And I did that all over the world. And in doing that, you know, I feel that uh, the people of my district had a representative who would try to keep our country out of more wars and build peace abroad. You know, I, I was given the Gandhi Peace Award, which was a national peace award uh, that was given to other prominent Americans uh, as a result of my work. And, you know, I appreciated that. But uh, do you feel your Do you feel your your interview with him with Bashar al-Assad legitimized him in the in the eyes of 
people around the world? Not at all. Any more than any any journalist, because that's what I was functioning at the time. Interview with any world figure is a form of a um, uh, of an association, affiliation, or confirmation of that leader's policies. You know, it's just that I was functioning as a journalist in that case, and uh, I was not in any way uh, providing any any uh, uh, any comfort to to him. Uh, and but I have to say that uh, it would be good for you, Dan, to study the U.S. foreign policy in that region. I do. And, and well, then fine. And then you should be aware that the United States was funding elements of Al Qaeda out there. The same people responsible for 9-11 funding elements of Al Qaeda. And that necessitated the bill in Congress, which was called Stop Funding Terrorism. You know, the American people are seldom aware of what goes on in other countries until something blows up and then we get dragged into a war. My the U.S. also funded the Mujahideen. Which are based on lies. I don't want to see our, our men and women have their lives sacrificed to, mm -hmm. to lies that are told out of Washington. So I took a stand. Did Bashar al-Assad lie to you? Look at the interview. You, you make a have. I have. I'm asking you. Do you believe that he lied to you? You look at the interview. You know, I don't. I'm not an apologist for him, and your attempt to try to make me one. I'm not. I'm just asking for. Congressman, I'm not trying to make you into an apologist. I'm just trying to understand because it was a head scratcher. Any viewer who watches this interview knows exactly what you're doing, and I'm telling you that I stand for peace. What am I doing? I'm sorry, Congressman. What am I doing? That's for you to decide. I, Congressman, with with all respect, with all this respect, with it was a public interview, and, and public at the time, interview. at the time watch, that you, Dan, watch. Let the viewers watch the interview and let them that's make. Fine. The that's fine, but I, I don't appreciate you, you impugning me. It's I'm not, not trying to do anything other than ask you to explain it. So I'm, here we are. I want the viewers to know. Here we are in a critical interview about the next mayor of Cleveland. And there's an attempt here to try to derail public attention from the crime that's being committed in the city of Cleveland, from the need to be able to have a mayor who's strong enough to deal with it. And, and this, this particular reporter wants to mischaracterize an interview that I did and make it the prime subject not, of this whole discussion. It's not, it's not the prime subject. Why don't you invite me to I, the city club to talk about foreign policy? Because I will tell you how I was instrumental in, in averting a war or, or stopping a war and how I was instrumental in averting a wider war. Uh, but, you know, if you haven't any interest in that, if you really want to understand my approach to foreign policy, uh, we can go into it deeply. But I hope that you also see that I have the ability to manage a city in a way that no one else does based on my extensive experience, not only as a councilman, clerk of courts, mayor, but as a member of the United States Congress. Thank you, Congressman. Um, we're going to move on now, if that's all right with you. Look, I, you're I've, the one who got, moved into that discussion. I didn't. That's that's true. And I appreciate you I, answering our questions. And no, I appreciate you. Dan, you can do better than that. Go ahead. Congressman, I feel I'm doing my best. And I feel that that was a fair question. And if you feel that it wasn't, that's fine. No, but this is, it's like, but it's, it speaks it's, to you it speaks to your so history and your that. judgment. And you we're going to move on now to questions that, from the audience.
We're going to move to questions from the audience. It's all about Syria and not about, not about Cleveland. <laughs> you know, you invited me on to talk about running for Cleveland. Let's ask. Let's let's answer some questions from the. Let's answer some questions from the audience, Congressman. And then you don't have to talk about Cleveland. Here's a question from the audience, from a voter. About 25% of Clevelanders do not have a car. And on average, we spend about 40% of our income on transportation and housing. What would you do as mayor to improve public transit in Cleveland? I was instrumental in helping to form the regional transit system. And at that time, it had a guarantee of a 25% fare of, of, of guarantees for uh, frequency of transportation and certain route miles and covering certain neighborhoods. I want to see uh, the Regional Transit Authority extend its work in the city and to make it possible, to have the economics make it possible so that people in the city can, can have free transit. You know, I advocated that years ago. And people years ago were saying, well, you know, if you have free transit, everybody's going to ride the bus. That was exactly my point. And so I want to work with with RTA or the, the Regional Transit Authority to make certain that the transportation needs of people in Cleveland, which are currently not being met, are met through making transportation wholly inexpensive, providing a frequency of service that doesn't now exist, and making it certain that the routes are, are attainable for people. Now, RTA just went through a whole new uh, uh, program uh, and, and next generation of transportation. And frankly, there's some communities that were not served by that. And I've talked to transit management about that already. So, you know, my interest in transportation uh, goes back many years and any neighborhoods that are not served, we're certainly going to make sure they're served. Another question uh, from our audience. If you are elected mayor, would you work with Global Cleveland to make Cleveland a more welcoming place for immigrants and refugees? And if so, how? I've always done that without uh, uh, participating with any organization. You know, I, I reach out to every group. I'm, I'm a frequent, you know, make frequent appearances at uh, every ethnic group uh, in this community. Because are you familiar with Global Cleveland with the organization referenced here in the question? I'm going to be part of their forum coming up. You know, that's that's okay. fine. I, I mean, sure, I'll work with them. But I'm saying that I, I don't require an organization to do that work. I, mm -hmm. I've reached out through my whole life to make sure that this rich cultural mosaic, which we have in the city of Cleveland, is is sustained, is celebrated. We ought to be, you know, our cultural gardens are one of the greatest uh, gifts uh, that the, the that people have in this area because it points out how every culture has something to contribute and that we need to recognize that. We need to celebrate that. And that's something that, you know, I, I do. And to welcome people, yes, you bet. I mean, I've been doing that throughout my whole life and I certainly will continue to do that. Another question uh, from a contemporary of yours. I'm 76 years old, writes the listener. Uh, you are 74, the age of our current mayor. Don't you think it's time for us to cede leadership to the younger generations? Well, some people, you know, at 76 may feel that, you know, their life has taken a transition and they can't do what they used to do. That's not the case with me. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll play one-on-one -on -one basketball with any other candidates and see how I do. 
I mean, I'm in good shape. I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my life because a lot of the health issues that I had earlier by changing my diet, I was able to get more vitality and energy than ever. Uh, do you play basketball, Dan? I do not play basketball. Oh, okay. Because I was going to invite you to a gym. I would be happy. I would. I would be happy to play with you sometime, Congressman. Right. I would enjoy that. We could maybe we could <clears throat> we could pick sides with the rest of the candidates and um, and raise some money for uh, for some organization. Hundreds of Cleveland, here, here's another uh, here's another question from our our audience. Hundreds of Cleveland residents have been organizing a campaign to call for a participatory budgeting process in Cleveland to bring underrecognized voices in uh, into hands-on democracy. Would you support a process like that to encourage democracy between elections, especially in light of $525 million coming to Cleveland through the American Rescue Plan Act? Absolutely. I, you know, th this is this is one of the reasons why it, 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 why city council, why the council leadership should have opened the door to people participating at council meetings and asking questions. Uh, it, it, that it's fundamental that people be given an opportunity to participate. I'd welcome that wholeheartedly because it's the city belongs to the people of Cleveland, and they ought to, they have a right to be able to have input as to how the money is spent. And to my knowledge, uh, Dan, City Council has not held any meetings on the um, uh, on the $511 million that is coming from the American Rescue Plan. I mean, I, and, and they've, had, they've had some conversations in, in council meetings I've observed, but I don't think they've actually formalized a plan yet. I'm saying, I'll state it again, to my knowledge, and I, I might be wrong. Yeah. To date, City Council has not had any meetings specifically to discover how the American Rescue Plan money should be spent, then it's a perfect opportunity to reach out to the communities and get public input so that people can say how they think that should be spent. As a matter of fact, if you read the legislation, you'll see that's the intent of the legislation to involve the people in, in, in these resources. Uh, Congressman, you mentioned earlier reorganizing the health department to address some of the health issues in Cleveland. Um, could you speak specifically to what that reorganization would look like and how it would be accomplished? More clinics in more neighborhoods, more staff in more neighborhoods, uh, educational outreach, uh, making people aware of the services, expanding the services, particularly into uh, uh, dental, although mental health is critical right now as well. Uh, you know, the health department can serve as a as a mighty uh, vehicle for improving uh, the health and the wealth of of the people of Cleveland, I tend to think of the health department as more about sort of you know uh, inspecting restaurants for one, and then also the public health issues of of lead and uh, and and broader public health issues. Not so much competing with the federally qualified health centers or the hospitals to provide care directly to residents. Well, I, I have a more holistic approach, Dan. I'm going to bring it all in under one roof because there is an intersectionality on the issues of uh, of health here, including diet and nutrition, by the way. So where would you, I mean, that's a big, that's a lot of growth. I think our public, our health department currently is a very small portion of the, of well, the operating budget. Where would that's, you get the money from? Look, you know, one of the, I, I was wondering when we get into this discussion. Okay. Here's a, uh, here's a copy of the, uh, of the of budget. The, of the but well the official certificate of estimated resources mm -hmm. and and just in the in the last year the city had uh, in the general fund 43.5 million dollars that was unencumbered 
uh, 37.2 million in the um, rainy day fund. The city's had the resources to, to meet safety and health concerns. It just, for whatever reason, decided to hoard the money rather than uh, spend it on the immediate needs of the people of Cleveland. Well, I have a different approach. Health is going to be a top concern of my administration, and we're going to deliver services to the people of Cleveland with respect to public health to deal with, with lead paint and other issues that you raise in a way that they haven't seen before. I know what, I know what government is possible, uh, what it's possible to, to do. And I also uh, understand that government works. The question is, who's it working for? And it's going to work for the people of the city of Cleveland uh, when they uh, ask me to return to City Hall. Congressman, I spoke to a, uh, this is a question that hasn't come in here, but it's, it's somebody offered it to me a couple of weeks ago, a Cleveland area, um, a Cleveland businessman um, who owns a small restaurant on the West side was complaining to me about Cleveland public power. And I know Cleveland public power is near and dear to your heart. Um, but he said that the service is terrible um, and unreliable. And when the, when it goes out, he is, um, when it goes out, he's got to throw away inventory because his walk-in freezers are, you know, and his walk-in fridge, you know, lose, loses power and, and they can't, they can't sell that food anymore. They have to throw it out. What will you do to improve Cleveland Public Power service? Everything. Uh, I'll start by cutting the rates by 10% so, uh, for residential uh, customers so that the system is competitive with uh, First Energy. It is mind-boggling that the system can sit on a $30 million surplus and yet have rates that are higher than First Energy's. But beyond that, when you look at the contract that was, uh, the city signed a 50-year contract to lock them into a, 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 a very unusual uh, um, commitment that uh, caused the city's uh, municipal electric system to suffer in terms of its uh, budgetary resources and and created a, a condition where instead of rates being at least 20% less than First Energy's, they ended up being 10% higher. I'm gonna move immediately to uh, challenge the legality of that. And I've and I set the stage, by the way, in my last days in Congress, uh, where I was very active in asking for investigation of the so-called Prairie State Campus and the effect that it was having across the country. And while the Trump administration, uh, unfortunately, uh, scuttled an FCC, uh, an, an SEC investigation, I'm going to seek to have the Biden administration reopen it because I think there was fraud at the basis of that whole uh, process. Um, you talked about about reducing rates for residential customers, but I didn't hear you say anything about improving service for commercial customers, which was the the origin of the of the question had to do with. Well, look, look, you know, the it's implicit that the system is not being run the way it should be. I'm, I'm pointing out the economics because that's where it all starts. Mm -hmm. But these are kinds of things that that outages have to be addressed uh, immediately. And you have to make sure you have the equipment, you have to make sure you have the personnel. And look, I know more about utilities than not only anyone running, but I know more about utilities than most, uh, uh, than most people who would be mayor of a big city. 
because of my experience in fighting to save Munilite, now Cleveland Public Power, where I had to get into the weeds on, on, on generation, distribution, transmission, on, on, on the various customer classes. We want to protect our commercial customers. We want to make sure they can have reliable power. And my goal as mayor will, to make, will be to make Cleveland Public Power reliable and to make sure that if any of our commercial uh, customers have experienced that kind of a loss, then we need to have a way for them to be compensated. I'm not, you know, if somebody has confidence enough to have public power, and if they experience a substantial loss that inhibits their business, we have a moral obligation to try to make them whole. Congressman, earlier you spoke about your public safety plan, 400 police officers and a division of uh, civic division of peace um, and, and others to accompany the police officers. Um, could you talk about your view of the consent decree and whether or not you believe that the division of police has made enough progress on the consent decree? The consent decree would never have been necessary had the mayor been on top of what was going on in the police department. But because he wasn't, and because we had this you know, uh, horrible uh, incident where Tamir Rice was killed, the city of Cleveland was pushed into a consent decree process. Now, you know, obviously, uh, that has led to a, a rigorous test of policing, which I think is actually good for the city. I think, it's, I think it was helpful to have a consent decree to, to, to require law enforcement to up its game with respect to civil liberties and, re, and, and, and how people are treated. That's fundamental. That's part of the transformation of law enforcement that I intend to bring about as mayor. So uh, to uh, now, should we, will there be a point at which Cleveland will be able to move out of the consent decree? I think so. But, you know, let's face it, the people of Cleveland want their city government to be directly accountable on matters of public safety. This is why I fully support the, you know, the, the existing uh, review board, because people ought to have the ability to have input over public safety policies since public safety constitutes almost 70% of the budget. But, uh, you know, the consent decree, I don't have any problem with that. I want to make sure it's fulfilled. And then we move on to have a top-notch police department that respects civil liberties and at the same time is able to make sure that they're effective uh, in, in providing safety for our communities. The, the work of the police department is one aspect of a broader set of issues around criminal justice. Um, the, the mayor's office has a, a very important voice in the conversations around the next justice center, Cuyahoga County's next justice center. And the, mayor's, the mayor, him or herself, will have an important bully pulpit from which to advocate for criminal justice reforms if that's on the agenda. And um, we've had a number of conversations at the city club in recent years about bail reform and, and reform to fines and fees, um, reform to sentencing reform, reform to the, the, the very number of courts themselves, right? We have a, a, a whole lot of common pleas judges. Now that's, a, that's Cuyahoga County, but we have a lot of courts um, and serving a, a population that is roughly the same size as Franklin County, which has fewer courts. How do you see these issues and which ones are most important to you? Where do you think that you can make progress? Well, I, th I think you have to ask where, where uh, I begin philosophically. 
Mm -hmm. uh, because I stand for peace, I'm into restorative justice, not retributive justice. And I want to make sure all of the systems uh, that start with uh, uh, prosecution, because the city, you know, mayor appoints a city prosecutor, uh, the uh, incarceration, um, sentencing, um, re rehabilitation. Yeah, I'm going to be looking at all those areas to make sure that people have a chance to uh, escape the carceral system. Uh, we, we have to realize how, how tremendous uh, uh, the burden that society has taken on itself by an approach that figures you can solve all your problems just by locking people up. That's wrong. And so I want to make sure that people are given an opportunity to be able to uh, come back into the community. Uh, you know, the one thing we do have to look at, though, is those who are, are violent criminals, repeat violent criminals, because there, there are cases where some people should not be on the streets and where we have to protect the community from certain people. But at the same time, uh, you know, the jails are overloaded with people who probably shouldn't be there. <laughs> and we need to make sure we, you know, I'm, I'm a mayor who's going to be looking at those issues uh, with an open mind and will welcome the input of people who have spent their lifetimes examining uh, the extent to which the criminal justice system is actually a criminal injustice system. So would you support ending cash bail? That's a proposal that many cities are, are engaging with right now. I, I, uh, you know, the United someone, States of America is one of few industrialized nations that still use a cash bail system. I am certainly open to, uh, uh, to changing that uh, system. Uh, you know, as clerk of courts, I, uh, the, the clerk in Cleveland has uh, the ability to uh, extend bond, bond. And I'm, you know, so I have some familiarity with the system. But you don't want to create a system. You don't want to have a system where because people can't come up with the cash, they're staying in jail. That's the system we currently have. I, I realize that. And, and I, you know, do I have problems with that? Yeah, absolutely. When you consider the level of poverty that exists in Cleveland, in some cases, you're condemning people to staying in jail. So should that system be reformed? Yes. Am I ready to tell you exactly uh, how I would do it? No, because I want to bring in others to get their opinions as the best way to do it. The recent state budget has allowed tax refunds to ex-commuters that due to COVID-19 are working remotely and no longer working downtown. This will cause a lot uh, loss of municipal tax revenue for Cleveland. Where do you stand on this and how can cities ensure we have the revenue to support the services that we all need and use? Well, I can, I can tell you that as mayor, I'm going to be in a position to weigh in mightily on that issue. Cities cannot lose the essential revenue that they've depended upon. And people are working from home. You know, there are going to be some transitions, to be sure. Mm -hmm. you know, every city is seeing uh, a certain amount of situations where people who used to work in an office may not do that again. But I think that'll change. I think that it, it, that will come back to uh, um, to work organized, organization of work being, you know, where people are together. But there's some questions about air purification that have to be resolved before uh, we get to that point. So in the meantime, no, I'm not going to stand by and see Cleveland or other cities stripped of the necessary revenues. If people have worked in the city at any time and because of COVID, uh, the COVID emergency, they're now not working from Cleveland. No, we expect them to continue to pay their taxes in Cleveland unless they, unless they permanently located their work outside the city. That's a separate issue. 
But mm -hmm. I can promise you that as mayor, uh, I will I will use the full resources of our office to protect our, our financial position. Mm -hmm. Do you understand the view of taxpayers? I, I mean, I, I don't have a very strong opinion on this myself. I pay taxes in two communities where I where I work and where I live, and I'm okay with that. But do you understand the point of view of taxpayers who who feel that they haven't worked, haven't been downtown Cleveland in a year and feel I, they shouldn't I certainly, pay that? I certainly can understand that. I mm -hmm. certainly do. And I hope they understand my view that as mayor, I'm going to protect the interests of the city of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Another question for you from our audience, Governor DeWine wants to use tax dollars to renovate Progressive Field. Wouldn't these tax dollars be better used to fund more critical and underfunded programs? And this is, I mean, this speaks more broadly, I suppose, to public funding for, for sports facilities. Yeah, you know, see, the whole issue of public funding, uh, uh, I look at it in a, in a different way than most public officials. Because I do have some business experience, um, I see my role as mayor as being the CEO of a $3 billion enterprise, $1.8 billion annually uh, for all revenue sources for the city, $1.2 billion for the schools. And so I'm also a negotiator. Uh, I, we certainly want our sports teams to stay in Cleveland. Absolutely. And we wanted Sherwin-Williams to stay in Cleveland as well. On a Sherwin-Williams thing, I would have said, look, tell us what you need. We'll make sure you get it. But I want the city of Cleveland to have so many shares in, in Sherwin-Williams. Let's be real partners here. Not that the city is just a gas station and an interest can pull up, say, fill it up and drive away. Let's be partners. Let's make a commitment to Cleveland together. And so I'm ready to work with uh, with the sports teams, with all businesses, to move this economy forward, to uh, get Cleveland going forward. And, you know, it's just a matter of negotiation. So so, so you would have sought an equity position in Sherwin-Williams in exchange for the, for the public support? Absolutely. I mean, it's a new way of looking at things. Let's be partners. And, and really yes, just to be clear, I want every business to know. I want to work with business. I want to, if businesses need help, we'll find a way to help them. Mm -hmm. But I'm, but when we're talking about massive amounts of money, you know, tens of millions, even over a hundred million dollars, my job as the CEO of the city is to make sure that the taxpayers get something in return. Mm -hmm. And that's my approach that, you know, some people may not like it, but my job is to protect the interests of the city of Cleveland. And I will promise you, we'll keep all of our teams here. That's um, the I believe it's the Green Bay Packers are publicly owned, um, not by the not by the city, but by, by individual shareholders, um, which is a, an, another model as well. That's a very interesting idea, sir. Um, well, we are just about out of time. And uh, I want to I want to ask you I mean, a question I often ask in interviews. Is there any question question that I haven't asked that I should have asked? Uh, I would say that um, it would be good. And I would be happy to accept an invitation to come to the City Club to talk about U.S. foreign policy. Uh, I'd be happy to do it before the election or after the election. And during that time, if people want to ask me about um, um, city services, I'm more than happy to answer that. But I think that we need a forum to talk just about uh, policy uh, related to international relations and uh, talk about the work that I've done to work for peace all over the world. I appreciate that opportunity and thank well, you. We have, a, we have a series devoted to world affairs that we host at the Happy Dog on the West Side, and perhaps we can make that happen sometime in the coming, in the coming months.
Congressman Dennis Kucinich, I thank you so much for your time, sir. It's been thank a you very much. Appreciate thank it. you for answering our questions. And I want to thank you as well for joining us for our forum today with mayoral candidate Dennis Kucinich. This Friday, the 16th, we'll be digging into the recently passed state budget. Behind all the numbers, mandates, and packages, we'll be asking, what does it mean for Ohioans and our communities? It will be our final fri virtual Friday forum at, hosted at the Idea Center. We will we'll return to in-person forums at the City Club on Friday, July 23rd. You can find out more about that at our website, cityclub.org. And if you missed us the last two Tuesdays in Public Square, you missed a great a couple of great conversations and you have two more opportunities to join us. On July 20th, we'll be talking about the future of essential work. And July 27th, we will hear from India Birdsong with Greater Cleveland RTA. You can view all of our upcoming forums at cityclub.org and you can also find all of our archives there as well. All City Club virtual forums are presented for free every week thanks to generous support from Bank of America, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC. You can join them in supporting the City Club's mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive by making a contribution online, becoming a member, or texting the word DONATE to 216-616-CLUB. That's 216-616-2582 to make your gift. I'm Dan Malthrop. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really looking forward to seeing you in person very soon. Our forum is now adjourned. <laughs>